Good evening. You're very welcome to this edition of Ireland's Generation X, a series that focuses on the group of people born between 1965 and 1985, an artistic generation caught between baby boomers and millennials. We're delighted to present Ireland's Generation X in partnership with the Kjolnokton Institute for Irish Studies at the University of Notre Dame. My name is Simon O'Connor. I'm the director here at Molly, the Museum of Literature Ireland, located on Dublin St. Stephen's Green. And though the museum's doors may be closed at the moment. We've been very busy working behind the scenes on new exhibitions as well as our digital and learning programs and you can check out all of our latest work at molly.ie. This evening we're joined once again by Professor Barry McRae, uh, himself a novelist and a scholar of comparative literature, who will be in conversation with Paul Murray, author of the novels An Evening of Long Goodbyes, Skippy Dies and The Mark and the Void. Before I go, I'd like to tell you a little about the Edna O'Brien Young Writers Bursary, which is a week-long immersive programme taking place this summer. It's an amazing opportunity for anyone aged 15 to 17 with an interest in writing. It's easy to apply and applications are due by the 29th of March, not too far away now. So please help us to spread the word. Visit molly.ie forward slash bursary for some more information on that. Finally, if you enjoy tonight's programme, I'd encourage you to buy Molly membership for yourself or for a friend. It's really the best way to support the museum and our programming. And with that, I will hand you over to Professor Barry McRae and Paul Murray. Enjoy the evening. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Simon. Um, I'd also like to thank, before we start, two other people who don't appear on the screen. One is uh, Benedict Schlepper Connolly, uh, and the other is co my colleague Catherine Wilsden, who conceived uh, this series with me. And even though you don't see Catherine, she was a big part of the intellectual impulse behind it. Um, so, as Simon said, our guest this evening is uh, Paul Murray. Uh, he is the author of these three books, um, uh, all of them very successful, all of them very different, and all of them very successful. So, you're very welcome, Paul. Um, Thanks for having me, Barry. I thought we might um, start off with some biographical stuff. So the idea of this series is to talk to writers of this generation and find out a bit about what in their generation made them the writers uh, they are. So maybe just tell us a bit about um, your background. So you're, you're not from the John McGahern school um, or background, but you're from, I suppose, uh, suburban. Is that the yeah, yeah. Uh, I grew up in in Kalini, um, not the part of Kalini that, that Bono lives in, Christaberg, uh, just the kind of the pretty straight up suburbs uh, Kalini. Um, my dad was a professor of um, drama in UCD, uh, and uh, which meant that the house was always full of books. Um, and I guess my yeah, that's how I sort of remember my growing up was like the library was a big part of of my childhood, we go to the kind of slightly grim library in Dunleary uh, every every week. It's now been replaced by the ultra-modern lexicon library where I'd, I'd quite happily live. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was the childhood, yeah. And uh, apart from all the books at home and the literary culture at home, how would you describe the, the cultural landscape um, of uh, suburban South Dublin. It's not. It's not where people think of first when they think of Irish literature. Yeah, I would say blasted would be a good word to describe it. Perhaps uh, uh, Bicketian, 
uh, yeah, there wasn't much going on, you know, really. Um, and I felt like, I mean, and I, I was, I was probably predisposed to not finding a lot going on. I was, I was kind of quite, uh, um, uh, the teachers would have said that I had a negative attitude and I was, I was sort of cynical and so forth. Um, I think I was more just sort of disappointed. Um, but uh, it seemed to me that uh, the suburbs uh, were a very, uh, well, I'm, I'm a parent now. So I like, I, I love the suburbs because, you know, they're a safe place to raise your children and, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of leafy streets and so on and tennis courts nearby if you want them. Um, but at the time it felt like a real wasteland, um, very, very, uh, a place where like where nothing was really happening in terms of in terms of thought. Uh, nothing. Life life always felt like it was happening somewhere else. Uh, that's the feeling I had um, in my teens and and you know until I left until I left home. Um, and I, I figure I think that's kind of it's probably like negative attitude notwithstanding I, I feel that was maybe that was kind of a fair enough uh summation of it because i've got friends who live in the same part of the world now and uh it does seem no offense to anybody who lives out in that in that neck of the woods but but uh if you're into washing your car then you know that's 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 there's a lot there for you but if you're into like furious political thought or you know uh like deep and ontology or or whatever kind of crazy stuff that, that I wanted to be into at the time, like it's you need to look elsewhere. I mean, you could say part of the job of the Irish writer is usually to um, talk about the, the endless complexity and uh, depth of the place um, they come from. So you're coming from a different, um, at least attitudinal standpoint. Um, so maybe we can talk about your attitude um, for a minute, um, if you don't mind, because you used the words, you said the teacher said you were cynical. Um, this is something that has come up a couple of times in the, these conversations. Uh, do you think irony or cynicism is, in Ireland as well as in other countries, um, a particularly Gen X standpoint? Like, do you think it was something that kind of osmosed into you? Uh, there's a line from a song by a band called American Music Club, which were very much a Generation X band. And there's a line about the, the rat who got tired running the maze and the scientists thought he was done, but he was just disappointed. Um, and I feel like that that's that's certainly for me and probably for like a lot of the people I knew then, um, the cynicism was more sort of just uh, frustration um, at the kind of monolithic nature of the culture of the time. Like I think today, because, you know, as, as in our modern world, you're connected to everything everywhere all the time. It's almost impossible to um, remember how just one-dimensional uh, Ireland was at the time, you know. And and like, it's a, Dublin is a capital city, and uh, but the suburb felt like a suburb anywhere, which is to say, it was a place where um, it's kind of deliberately made to be sort of a historical, you know. It's deliberately made to be somewhere where where things don't happen. Um, and Ireland itself was a place where things weren't really supposed to happen. You know, if you had notions, if you had attitudes, if you wanted to create something different, um, you were kind of invited to, to go elsewhere. Like right up until um, I left college, which is like 1997, uh, that's what people did. You know, if you wanted to be an artist of any stripe, you, you pushed off to London or, or, or New York or, or to Europe um, because 
there just wasn't really the infrastructure in Ireland to support anything other than the most mainstream kinds of culture, or at least that's what it felt like me to me at the time. Like I think there was like some interesting. I know there's some interesting theatre things happening, and the, the, the film industry was just starting to emerge, and there's some really interesting writers just starting to appear then. But uh, I mean. In the world I was in, going to the school I went to and, and then going on to college, uh, it really felt like that the trust of, of, or the mood of the nation and the trust of the nation was to, um, was, was very homogenous. You know, it was still very much like uh, dominated by the church. Um, there was still an air of, uh, like the troubles were still overhanging everything, you know, which really cast awful again, something we kind of don't really remember, just the shadow that cast on on everyday life. You know, every day you'd start your morning listening to the news about someone being killed. Um, this endless chipping away at your, at your soul. So, um, like, I think Generation X across the board, like in, in you know, the United States, uh, as well as in Ireland, um, felt like it was trapped beneath a, a monolithic culture. Um, and in Ireland, maybe it took a different shape than it did to, to the United States. But I don't think cynicism is, is actually sort of a fair a fair accusation. Um, I think irony became a very important way of of dealing with the, the frustrations and, and powerlessness that, that people felt. Um, but that's not the same as, as cynicism. Um, but I think maybe the lessons, well, this is something we can come to later on, but, but uh, like now one wonders how effective a tool irony really was and um, did it actually help at all or did it just sort of, you know, perpetuate the same, um, you know, keep things the same instead of changing things. Did people, did people hide behind it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm curious to know what about that predicament um, made you into the writer you became, you know, what, so you had the impulse, obviously the, the literary home, but um, in terms of how you came into consciousness of yourself as a writer, how would you say the the background you came from, not the family, I mean, but the social background you're describing there, um, how that was part of that makeup? Um, well, I, 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 like when I when I started writing, I just did it uh, as a continuation of reading when I was when I was a little kid. You know, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. Um, and when I got into school, uh, I was quite good at art. I wasn't brilliant, but I was quite good. So I used to do a lot of um, comics. Uh, and then I used to watch, me and my friends used to, we used to like, we used to be really, we were like just nerds, just like, you know, classic nerds. We were really into comics and we were really into like Monty Python um, and kind of sketch shows, like UK sketch shows like that. And we kind of mimicked those. So we do see these, we do sort of like, we do kind of comics that are a bit like 2018. And we do like we would write these scripts that were a bit like Monty Python and the Holy Grail or whatever it might be. Um, I got really into like Twin Peaks started running when I was in school, uh, and that was really exciting for me because it's sort of about the suburbs, you know, and it's like terrible, like darkness underlying the suburbs. Um, so I was really inspired by that, and and uh, not you know nothing really good came of it. Like I started writing very derivative kind of uh, Twin Peaks type scripts about, you know, um, little people and, and horses appearing in living rooms and so on. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, like at, at that stage, that kind of embryonic stage, what you're doing is just um, kind of mimicking, really, you know, mimicking and trying to find function. You know, your own voice kind of gradually emerges out of that kind of accretion of of, uh, of different influences. But but in terms of writing, um, writings was just one one of the things I wanted to do. Like uh, uh, I wanted to write, but I also wanted to make films. I also want I had like a, I was pretty good at guitar, so I wanted to be in a band. Um, uh, I was again. I like. I took art pretty seriously, um, and writing ended up being was sort of a process of elimination. Writing was uh, the thing I was probably best at, or least worst at, um, and uh, it was the easiest to do in terms of uh, expense. You know, you didn't. If you wanted to be in a band, you needed you know a drummer, and you needed you know a space to to rehearse in. If you wanted to make a film, I had no idea how how you'd go about making a film. But writing, like there's the overheads are, are minimal and um, eventually, like I thought, like in Ireland where so many doors felt closed, this was like the one door that felt like um, you didn't need a special pass to get through it. You know, you didn't need to know anybody. You know, you didn't need to find a way to play a gig in the bag of in or whatever. You know, you, you could you could just do it on your own and and, uh, and, and see where it led you. So and we'll, and we'll talk about the individual books in a minute, but since you brought up um, reading, um, one of the things I, I've always felt about your writing is that you're an Irish writer who writes in some ways in the American literary tradition, um, or at least that the originality of your work is partly because it's a, um, a meeting, a confluence of um, Irishness, they're all set in Ireland, um, and an American literary tradition. Is that is that what you were reading and because we've had other, you know, I've talked to other writers who really have a, a, a very keen awareness of themselves writing an Irish literary tradition, or maybe an Irish and UK one. But in your case, I feel there's um, uh, there's there's a, a a fairly American reading diet behind it. Is was that true always, or is it true at all? Uh, I I kind of dispute the idea that you're you you know one is part of a kind of a national tradition like i know i know it's like something that that um that uh in terms of studying the literature is very important but i don't know how much uh like milan Kundera has an essay about um the kind of the continuum as he calls it and and how he wouldn't see himself as being part of a czech continuum um like kafka is important to him but like so would you know um many many other writers from many other countries uh, it's it's really more whose voice speaks to you personally, um, and whose voice you feel like you can draw something from that you're you're able to use to describe your own experience. Like so, so in some ways, like Irish writers, I'm going to say two contradictory things, uh, which is that on, on on the one hand, like Irish writers seems um, too close for me to draw something useful from to describe my own experience. Uh, and at the same time, contradictorily, that Irish writers didn't seem to be describing the world that I lived in, um, so weren't used to me that way either. So, so I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, but um, when I was when I was uh, growing up, um, Irish writing, as I perceived it, maybe wrongly, felt uh, very much. There's this kind of very poisonous notion of uh, authenticity. Um, which I feel kind of hovers over um, literatures, uh, national literatures, that whole world sometimes. And who's the, who's the Irishist, and who's what? What stuff is the correct? Is the is the true purview of of a national literature? 
Um, so the country, writing about the country, that's, that's the Irish tradition. Um, and part of the reason Joyce had such a, a hard time is because he was writing about a city, you know, a modern city. Um, uh, I felt like I wasn't coming from, I certainly wasn't coming from the country. Uh, so I wasn't authentic in that world, but I also wasn't really coming from the city. I was coming from the suburbs and the suburbs, like, like I was trying to say, w- felt like this kind of deliberately kind of like anonymous kind of utopian in a bad way, uh, kind of a world, you know, like the nowhere place, um, where it's not supposed to have like characteristics or identity other than, um, safety and basic notions of, of kind of, of, um, consumer satisfaction. Um, so I felt like the American literature that came out of like the fifties and sixties, if you look at someone like Richard Yates in a book like Revolutionary Road, he's writing about that world in a very, um, powerful way. You know, he's, he's looking at this, this, this kind of like marriage, which, which from the outside looks, looks perfect and the house looks perfect and the street looks perfect. And you lift the lid and it's, and it's just this inferno of rage and torture and, and violence. And it's, um, an incredibly powerful book. Uh, and he uses the, the mundanity of that world to generate the, the inferno, which is really um, exciting to read. Um, for me, it felt like, uh, the American writers, the American, again, tradition is not a word I, I, I love, but, um, like I, I lived in like a world of like a pop culture. Um, I watched so much TV, terrible TV. Um, American TV, British TV as well, but like in Glenrow, obviously as well. Um, but, uh, that world of pop culture was, seemed to me to be alive in American books that, that I, I wasn't finding it in, um, in, in the Irish novels that I read. Like I didn't extensively pursue Irish novels, frankly. Um, and I know like that the writers that were coming up then, like, or maybe a little bit later, like Pat McCabe and Riley Doyle and, and, and writers like that did draw on pop culture. Um, but, but when I was in school and starting college, it felt like, um, if you're reading someone like, like Pynchon was like obviously the big one for me. Um, but like, or like Jane McInerney or like a Donna Tartt or these young writers, it felt like, it felt like it felt alive and it felt, um, it felt a world that I was connected to in, in a way that, uh, that I didn't feel I was getting from Irish books. But also I like, I, I was like, you know, I wanted to, to be an escapist. You know, I was reading for for it to escape. Like, I didn't want. I'd like open my door, open my eyes, and I was in Ireland. I like Ireland twenty four seven. So I kind of had enough Ireland going on without seeking out more representations of Ireland. Um. So, th- so the American world, because I'd never been to America, um, and that was a big part of it. Like the American world that appeared to me in books and appeared to me on TV felt like this. Felt like this um, higher realm, you know, um, because it was. Uh, Unreal. Um, does that make any sense? Yeah. So the encounter with these American writers obviously was fundamental um, to you um, yeah. in, in in your sense of what you could do as a writer. So maybe we'll go through your the rest of your intellectual biography. So we've three institutions: um, Blackrock, um, infamous um, uh, factory for the Irish ruling class in a way. Um, Trinity, more complicatedly so, and then East Anglia. Do you want to just run us through your um, your intellectual trajectory? Uh, yeah. Um, well, Blackrock, I, I wrote about Blackrock in my second book, Skippy Dies, um, which is sort of like a, the school was, was kind of based on Blackrock. It's not exactly the same. Um, 
and it pains to say that the teachers in the book aren't the teachers in, that I had in school. I had some really nice teachers um, who helped me. Um, but BlackRock was a was a difficult place uh, for me to 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 to, to be. Um, uh, my parents were very kind, loving, supportive people. I don't know why they sent me to that school because they were um, they they'd been. My dad taught in UCD, and they'd been over in and they spent like their sixties the the sixties in in the US, like in in Yale, uh, where they you know go on marches with the Black Panthers and stuff, and like they're they're quite kind of cool and and uh, lefty. And I, I don't know why they sent me to BlackRock. Maybe they didn't know quite what it was. Um, but it's very, very, again, like monolithic. Um, it's the most institutional of institutions. You know, it was a place that, that uh, like more so than almost any, anything I can think of in Ireland beyond the church itself, um, was uh, um, an institution that had lasted at that point for, I think it was about 100 and, I don't know, 120 years old maybe. Uh, but But just stood for like just solid, Catholic, Catholic bourgeois values, um, and like I don't know how much it's changed now. You know, I get sort of things on my WhatsApp uh, about the school now, where you get sort of trailers for like um, for for the school, for like ads for the school, and uh, it, there's sort of there's kind of nods towards diversity and nods towards different ways of doing things. And maybe that's the case now. At the time, it was uh, it was all about rugby, um, and if you didn't play rugby, I mean, that sounds like such a sort of a sort of a, a kind of a cartoonish way of presenting it, but it really was super into rugby. Uh, and if you, and it was very hierarchical. And if you're, if you're like good at rugby, you were sort of top of the tree. Um, and if you weren't into rugby, so you could, if you weren't, I couldn't play, obviously I was, you know, I was no good. I was really very bad at rugby, but I also didn't really like watching rugby. It's quite a boring sport to watch. Um, I like watching soccer, like, and I was good at playing soccer. But uh, but soccer wasn't played in in, in Blackrock um, because it was the working class sport. Um, Blackrock like, imported rugby; they just took on rugby because that's what they played in the public schools in, in the UK, and they wanted to look like a like a Catholic public school. Um, so it was very hierarchical. Um, like it wasn't really like it was very academic in terms of of uh, it was very invested in, in getting lots of maximum points and getting high points. They wanted the kids to get high points. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of anything else, like it was really like it was really kind of pretty conservative. Like one kind of the kind of the the the, the kind of the the key moment for me with regard to that was like my friends and I tried to make a little a short film and uh, on the premises of the school, and it was a, it was a film. It's kind of like a, a short about uh, a murder within the debating society. Um, debating was quite big and um, it was called Motion for Murder and like like I don't know why I did this but I took it to the principal just to get clearance to, to film within the school and the principal was this uh, quite sort of cerebral priest um, and he, he kind of refused to allow us to film this this little short this kind of idiotic short called Motion for Murder because it had a murder in us you know uh, it was just this kind of comedy thing but he wouldn't let us do this you know um and I was kind of astonished by that. You know, we'd had lots of pushback in terms of, in terms of, like, you know, anything you tried to do there, like in, in art class, if you did like, a, you know, a picture that like, you get problems, you might have problems from the teacher with that, but, but uh, it really was very conservative. And uh, I really didn't belong there. And, and uh, 
I, I wasn't a useful a useful student for them to have there. And, um, you know, everyone would have been happy. I would have been happy if I wasn't there. The school would have been happier if I wasn't there. It was just a bad mix. It was just a bad then, relationship. You know, um, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, then, then, you, then you put it on the literary map. I mean, then um, uh, the, the result of this was eventually Skippy Dies, uh, which yeah. is this, this um, vast, uh, very colourful world, which um, obviously springs out, springs out of that. Maybe you want to, will you talk a bit about Skippy? I know we're going out of order a bit. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but do you want to tell us something about Skippy and how you arrived at it? Um, well, um, like I, I left Black Rock when I was or when I was eighteen, and uh, I never thought about it again. Um, uh, I was so happy to be gone, and uh, not even, I just didn't think about it, even in terms of happiness. I was just happy, I just had a new life, and um, that little sort of um, uh, that that time had no relevance to me. And then I started writing this short story. Um, which is going to be like a two-hander about a teacher and a kid in his class and the kid has a problem and the teacher wants to know what the problem is. The kid's written, he's a biology teacher and the kid's written this book about this essay about sea anemones, except he writes it sea enemy and the teacher's going like, why, why is he written, written sea enemy? So like this, like this little pun, this was the seed of the whole thing. So I started writing this story about the, the, the teacher and the kid and uh, I got to a point in the story where the bell rings and the kids all leave the class and the teacher gathers up his things and he walks out the door into the corridor. Um, and he's sort of surrounded. He's in a sea of like, of this kind of ferment uh, of, of kind of uh, 14 and 15 year, 15 year old boys um, on their way to the next class. And uh, it was really, it was like the Wizard of Oz. It was like, I could just see that world so vividly. Um, and I could see all of the characters and I could see all these different kind of, uh, I could see all these different kids that I'd, I'd been in school with. We'd all been penned in together for so long. Um, and the whole world came back to me so strongly. And, and, and um, for a while, I sort of resisted it. I didn't even resist it. I, I, I was writing this, this short story uh, and describing all of these things that I could see. And it was just getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And I was going, oh, my God, how am I going to cut back my short story, which is now like 85 pages long and make it to 15 pages long? Um, and I remember talking to my brother and my brother saying, well, it sounds more like a, more like a novel. Um, and I was like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course it's a novel, you know? Um, it hadn't sort of struck me. Uh, but, but as you can gather, like, I mean, I, I had a lot to say about it and I had a lot, to, I had a lot to, um, those experiences that you have at that time in your life are so, you feel things so, so vividly and so strongly at that point in your life. Even if your world at that time feels so monotonous and so boring and so empty and, and everyone around you seems like such a dick and like everything they say is so idiotic. But nevertheless, like that monotony has this kind of richness to it, you know? Uh, and when you revisit those, those, those people and those, those, that time, um, like from like when I started writing the book, it was like, uh, it was, it was maybe, um, how long was it? Like maybe ten years since I'd left, uh, and and suddenly, suddenly the kind of the 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 the, the, the grotesquery isn't quite the word I, I want, but um, just the the color of the time, just like the fact that you're 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 penned in with all these people who are so different to you. Like at no other time in your life will you be surrounded by people who are who are like there was two hundred people in my year in Blackpool, two hundred twenty people, and. 
you know, they were as varied as 220 people can be, you know. Um, and and uh, and there I was amid them, you know. And and, uh, and I think that we were in this like this this very very conservative institution, which was like very very intent on producing, as you said, like sort of the, the, the factory for producing um, basically people who work in finance. Um, the guys who passed me on my bike in their Audis every day, you know, um, those were the people that, that BlackRock wanted to produce. But at the time, they were all like me, like these powerless adolescents, uh, and everybody was just freaking out. So you had this, like, this very, very conservative institution, and then like 220 kids in a single sex school just going crazy. Um, so like there was a really, you know, there was a lot to write about. Put it that way. So, um, your first novel, An Even Long Goodbye, is set out in the southern suburbs where you grew up. Um, the next one, Skippy Dies, uh, set in Blackrock College. We've moved up the coast and moved up ahead in your life to secondary school. Um, but then we don't have a Trinity novel, which is where you went next. So you're, um, um, in some ways, you're almost exceptional in your um, generation of um uh, Dublin writers not to have produced a Trinity novel. Uh, yeah. What is that? Or are you going to uh, do that? I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know if I should be ashamed or chastened to, to admit that I'm currently working on my, my Trinity novel. Uh, it's, it's got a, it's got, um, it's mostly set in the Midlands, but it's, it's got a couple of sections which are, are set in Trinity. Uh, and Trinity was, uh, Oh, I mean, BlackRock was 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 something. It was easy in retrospect to get a read on, um, and it was easy to say something about Ireland through the lens of BlackRock. Because uh, if I was writing, I was writing that book during the Celtic Tiger, and the Celtic Tiger was basically, um, you know, conducted by people who'd been to BlackRock, and the ethics of the Ireland of that time. Were the ethics of the church that uh, you know it was a, it was a it was a run by it was a, it was a Catholic school run by an order of priests. So the, the the orders like 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 that order had sort of endorsed um, the um, the kind of the economy that we had and the, and the culture that we had at the time. Trinity was like a much harder place to get a read on. I mean, I, I you know I I really admired your book uh, set in Trinity. I, I thought that was very um, you know you sort of you investigated the there's different worlds within Trinity, you know, um, but it took me a while to figure out uh, what angle I wanted to take um, about Trinity and how I even felt about Trinity, you know, because I had, uh, I was, I was, I was, uh, like it was difficult in a different way to BlackRock, um, but, but the difficulty of BlackRock led on to the difficulty of Trinity. Which is to say that BlackRock was um, this uber kind of like middle class suburban um, Catholic experience, single sex. Um, when Trinity was uh, obviously like the kind of the, the the culture of Trinity is much different. You know, my my mother when she was growing up, you you know, you couldn't if you're a Catholic, you couldn't go to Trinity. Nobody went to Trinity, you know, because it was I don't know if it was it was technically a sin, but it was certainly very much uh, looked down on or frowned upon to go to Trinity if you weren't a Protestant. It was the Protestant college. So it had that sort of air of darkness about it. Um, it was full of, um, well, it was like, it was co-ed. So, so, I mean, that was like a major 
sort of shifting gear for, for me. Um, that wasn't a, a bad thing, you know. It was great to have conversations with 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 girls, and you know that was a um, that was that was great. But uh, there was aristocrats there. Um, there was an aristocrat in my philosophy class uh, who won't name, um, but but he he, um, he and his his friends like inhabited this kind of this this trinity that was the trinity that we were in. Then there was this kind of this other trinity where, where um, uh, it was the people who didn't get into um, Oxbridge or, or Durham, I think Trinity was next on the list. So there were like this, this fantastic, everyone's like sort of like six and a half foot tall uh, and like cheekbones and and very un-Irish things like that. And and um, we're living this kind of like Brideshead revisited type type life, um, which felt, which is just like, we all felt like sort of like leprechauns kind of you know, hopping around among these, among these people. Um, there was a lot of, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't sort of the issue for me either. I think there was, I think it was just such a shift in gear. Like you had a lot of, everyone who went to Trinity was quite clever. You had to get quite high points to get to Trinity. Uh, so everyone had been kind of quite good uh, in their school lives. Everyone had worked hard to get the points to go to Trinity. And now everybody, so you just a college full of nerds, you know, broadly speaking, or a college full of very diligent, um, quite, quite, um, obedient people and they'd come to college and now they were furiously trying to reinvent themselves as as uh as whatever as as kind of you know uh people with something of interest to say and there was quite a lot of uh i didn't see it that way at the time i but i found people quite intimidating i found i found i wasn't i wasn't really good at pretending um i wasn't but and I didn't get that other people were kind of that there might be something behind people's facade. People were kind of felt insecure, and this is why they're behaving that way. But but uh, people felt quite scary, and uh, people were kind of not all super well behaved. There was a lot of um, in my in my I did a two subject moderatorship uh, of English and philosophy, and within the, our little sort of Venn diagram of people who did both those subjects, there was a lot of mental illness. People had. Um, in second year in particular, there was uh, there was a lot of the people I knew or was friends with had, had run into very very serious um, issues, which which ended. Well, I had a very close friend who committed suicide in, in my fourth year, and that was that was the definitive experience for me of Trinity Ultimate. That was just it was such a, uh, a heartbreak uh, for me and for all my friends at the time. Um, and and I felt like it it's it was the culmination of um, whereas in Black Rock we were sort of sat on and we were sort of controlled or or molded uh, in a very sort of clumsy but but uh, harsh way in Trinity you were just at sea you know you were sort of left to your own devices the faculty kind of um, did their their eight hours a week or whatever and that was that was kind of largely it you know so so um, for a bunch of very wet behind the ear kids, you know, you could go massively astray in that environment, and and people did. Um, and I was living with my parents, you know, so I, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the scope to kind of really go off the rails. Um, maybe that was a good thing in retrospect, but uh, but it was like a weird, it was a weird time. People were finding themselves, and that was um, in books that that's often. Uh, a joyous experience, but I think um, 
in reality, or certainly in that reality, it was a difficult experience. People had a hard time, and there were casualties. And um, yeah. yeah, that's that's that was that was my Trinity experience. So as I write about it now, it's it's um, it's still something that's 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 very very complex, and uh, that I feel. Um, I feel, yeah, it's, it was just, it was just being thrown into the, I don't know, even, even if, even if we were thrown into the adult world, you're thrown into some kind of world of, of, uh, that we weren't equipped to deal with. Um, and people went, people got hurt. So in some ways there's an open wound there, where it was, I said, Black Rock was this closed experience that you were then able to use as a window on the world with all these digressions and that Trinity seems like because then you went obviously by the end of Trinity you were a writer already because you went to the famous um, uh, program in East Anglia right yeah that's right I mean Trinity was like uh, again I, I had some great I don't want to, to, to run down Trinity I, I had some great friends in Trinity and there was some, some I think I went about it wrong um, I, I don't feel you're running it down, Paul. You're more bringing yeah. an emotional complexity that you know the university, you know, the university, especially in novels, often is just this shining paradise on a hill where you finally go to become your true self. And in yeah. fact, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, I guess that's that's the thing. You know, you you, you um, I mean, that's maybe that's what people expect, and your true self is is kind of an elusive commodity. And um, so, and writing for me in different Trinity was was a bit. Uh, of a, I wrote a lot, but I didn't get get any returns in it. So, um, so it was a bit demoralizing. Um, I'd, there was like a, a writers' workshop every year, and every year I'd sort of apply, and every year I wouldn't get in. Uh, and then finally, in my last year, I was accepted. Um, Deirdre Madden was giving this, this workshop, which which um, I remember you you took part in too. And for me, that was really important to be validated in that way, and to have people reading my work. Because I never shared it with my friends, um, so that was a huge thing for me. Uh, which, uh, which I then I don't know if it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I I went to UEA uh, about four years after I finished college, and um, in the meantime, I'd written this this kind of uh, very derivative kind of postmodern like American type novel, which um, I needed to get out of my system. It, it probably wasn't very good. Uh, and um, then I'd started another novel and stalled with that. I started working in, in Waterstone's bookshop and I spent a year of, uh, of Waterstone's is gone. I used to be on Dawson Street, opposite Hodges Vegas. And it was just a wonderful year of my life, surrounded by very booky people, um, just having great conversations and, and reading books I would never have read otherwise. Uh, and doing a lot of drinking um, in the Duke pub. Um, and uh, by the time I finished up to go to UA, it was probably the time for me to go. Um, it's quite a seductive world. Uh, and then UEA was like, uh, you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound like like uh, like like I just had this this series of, of nothing satisfies me. Or, or I, UEA was 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 um, was a postgraduate world. So um, I hadn't obviously been a postgrad before, but um, it's you're kind of on your own. Like you, you're you're like. The, the population of the university is an undergraduate population and doing a master's, you're sort of on your tag. Uh, and the university itself is like, it's outside Norwich, which is a weird town in its own right. Um, we can come back to that if you want. Uh, the university is outside and it's this, it's this famous 
campus. It's this kind of brutalist architecture. I think it was designed in the 60s. It's a really strange looking place and it's quite desolate. Um, and there's a lake uh, outside us. There's a lake on the campus uh, with swans. Um, and every every day I'd go for, I had, you know, I was sort of stuck there. I wouldn't do it right. And every day I'd go and walk around the lake and, um, you know, be assailed by these kind of quite vicious swans that, that, uh, that live there. Um, it was it was great in terms of I got a lot of writing done. Uh, I had a wonderful tutor called Ali Smith, uh, the writer Ali Smith, and um, she recommended my book to her editor. And uh, when I finished my course um, and came home and was broke and was back with my parents, um, this beautiful moment uh, arrived when when the editor um, at Hamish Hamilton Simon wrote me an email saying, you know, Ali's told me about your book and you'd like to see it and, and send it to us. So, so I did. So it was great. Like UEA was, was, was wonderful me to, for me in, in that way. Um, it's, and it was wonderful to me in terms of giving me time to work on my book, which I don't know if I would have done otherwise because I was, I was enjoying Dublin at that point so much. Uh, I was, I was more confident. I had lots of friends. Um, and those things aren't necessarily conducive to writing. Um, whereas in UEA, you know, you're, 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 as I say, you're kind of stuck in this campus. And, um, I was like an Irishman in, in England, which, which was quite a strange experience too. Uh, I got quite patriotic. Uh, I used to, um, I used to, I started reading, um, like Yeats's letters and, and Joyce's letters. And, uh, I bought Finnegan's Wake, though I didn't make much headway with that. But, uh, but the book was the book that came out of that eventually, An Evening of Long Goodbyes, was written. Um, I think out of that sense of I'd always had problems kind of writing about my own world that I lived in. I was always like trying to kind of like write about this kind of this imaginary world that, that I thought was real. Uh, and being abroad, um, being in UEA, um, helped me to um, just get a bit of perspective on Dublin and uh, and the things that I loved about Dublin, uh, and and to start to kind of see value in, in that world that I haven't seen. I, I, I want to ask you, we're going to open for questions in a minute, but I want to ask you about these imaginary worlds um, because your most recent novel, The Mark and the Void, um, is a very different world. Um, so you keep moving up the Dublin coast uh, all the way, this time to the Financial Services Centre. And, um, you know, Skippy Dyes caught the imagination of all sorts of people, including David Cameron, as I recall. Um, but the mark on the void is not a very, um, I suppose, Tory-friendly um, <laughs> book. Um, but especially more seriously, uh, I want it's very connected to uh, contemporary events, to current affairs, to the banking crisis. Um, and um, you know, once you said to me that you know Skippy dies has a spoiler in the title, and um, that book too begins with a with a preface that um, tells you a lot about what the book is 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 going to be about. Um, so you, I can see there's um, there are structural similarities between them, but it's also a very different departure. And um, maybe just because that it's a controversial question, that maybe say something about your decision to write something that was so connected to things that were going on in the real world, in the political and financial world. Yeah, well, um, I mean, this, the, 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 the genesis of that book was kind of complicated uh, in that it was written in two stages. So so before I wrote Skippy, I wrote uh, a draft of um, 
the Mark and the Voyage. Uh, it was called something different then. And it was just a funny book. It was just, uh, it was about like a, a Frenchman, uh, this kind of, this, this kind of, this banker who's very ingenuous. He's like, he's very clever and he's very rich, but he's very ingenuous and very innocent. And he's kind of romantic and naive. And he meets this, this writer called Paul, who is very, um, uh, disingenuous and very sneaky and very, uh, untruthful. Um, and, uh, the, the reason, I think I got that idea because um, I used to work in not a bank, but the first job I had out of college was something called a bank operations center, which was literally uh, an underground bunker um, in Cabin Tealy in, in the suburbs of Dublin, quite near where I, I, I lived. Um, and it was an underground bunker where the bank sort of preserved all its, the records of its daily activities. And I was in charge of this um, check machine, which this huge machine, the length of uh, a house, and it would sort of record, it would shoot all these checks through it and record them and barcode them and, uh, and do various things to them. Uh, and the physical checks had to physically pass through this machine, which is very, very delicate. My job was to physically put the checks in very delicately. And if you didn't do it right, um, the machine would sort of grind to a halt and you'd have to call the engineers and they'd fix it. Um, and it was, it was very, very, it was mind numbing and it was, um, it was, you'd, it was standing all day beside this machine, putting like millions of euros, millions of pounds as it was, uh, of, of, uh, of, of checks through this machine every day. And you'd start at 2 p.m. and you'd leave when the checks were done. So like 10 p.m. and a good day, but in Christmas, Christmas, like more like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Um, and I, I felt like um, there's a Bob Dylan line, you know, what is it, 20 years of school and they put you on the day shift. And I felt like, it was very hard at that point to get a job in Ireland um, still, like 97, the, the boom hadn't quite hit. Uh, finance was the only kind of game in town. And I felt like my education, um, doing that job, it felt like everything I learned was like utterly meaningless. Just such a, it was such a waste of time. And I could feel my brain atrophying. So I started reading, reading um, Roland Barthes. And we had this Roland Barthes reader at home and uh, I'd never read him. I'd always sort of avoided those classes in college. Um, but I really enjoyed Roland Barthes and that world of um, mythologies. Um, so I had this. So, so for that reason, I had this connection in my head between French philosophy and banking, and the two having, having this opposition. Uh, so when I started writing this book uh, a few years later, it seemed quite natural to have like a, a French banker who's basically kind of a philosopher and this uh, this this writer having this 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 um, exchange. Um, when I wrote the first draft, it was funny, uh, but it wasn't anything else. And I felt like it didn't have enough. I felt like there needed to be something not funny to drive the humor. Otherwise, the, the humor just became kind of tiresome to me. I don't know, maybe not to, to other people, but, but to me, it felt like it just didn't work. Um, so I put it to one side and then the banking crash came along. And I realized that the, basically the guys from Skippy Dies had graduated and become extremely rich. In fact, I mean, I remember reading a thing in the Irish Times magazine where a guy from my class, who was not one of the smart guys from my class, but now he was a, he was a hedge fund trader in New York City. And he had like a little thing in the Irish Times, you know, the magazine, Wicked magazine, um, describing his favorite cocktail that he used to get in this, like in some, you know, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like that guy, he was, he was really not one of the, the, the bright guys, but he was trading these like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and the more I read, the more I learned about the, the, the banking crash uh, and, and what be became almost took out the entire civilization. You know, I mean, 
we're like sort of like hours away from like the ATMs not giving you any money and the whole thing coming down. Um, and that global meltdown that almost was, um, that was happening in Ireland, in Dublin, in South Dublin, in with the, the kind of guys I went to school with. Um, so there was plenty of anger there. There was plenty of darkness there. Once you started going into that world uh, and the idiocy of it and the maleness of it and the swagger and confidence of it, yeah. um, you know, uh that that became the engine for the for the 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 um for the kind of the the, the comedy then you know uh, the two things kind of fed each other fed off each other um in a more satisfying way then no and, and it's been being praised as one of the the only um real literary treatments uh of that so that's uh, and i've loads more questions about that but i i'm going to go to the questions in the chat i just remind everybody if you want to uh, ask a question, just type it into the, the Zoom chat and um, I'll ask it to Paul. Um, so um, this question from Susan, as someone from Generation X, how do you feel different from the baby boomer generations in Ireland? It's uh, a good question. I mean, I feel a lot less rich, I guess would be the simple answer to that. Um, <laughs> the baby boomers, like, uh, God bless them, um, they're, they're, there was a massive... There's a massive transfer of wealth uh, to the generation above us that came with the um, with the the boom in the early 2000s. So anybody that owned property in the boom became many multiples wealthier. Um, and all the mugs who came along in like 1999, 2000, um, you know, you're sort of you spend the rest of your life trying to catch up with that. Uh, I think that um, I think that's uh, it's it's a difficult question. I mean, Generation X, I feel like doesn't really have was very disaffected and really finds or found it hard to find anything else to believe in. My sense is of the millennials, like I I don't know how much faith one should put in these kind of very broad generalizations. Um, but my sense is of millennials is that they have they're quite ideological. And they believe strongly, you know, in, in sort of in, in kind of various um, political statements. Whereas I think if you're Generation X, um, you've grown up railing against those kind of ideological certainties um, because they've all been shown to be predicated on lies. Um, so you've got a real suspicion of anybody delivering any kind of uh, ex-cathedral judgments. Um, like, for instance, for me, like definitive things for me, growing up for like the Iraq war when you're just watching just lie after lie after lie after lie being told um, and like various politicians falling in line with it. Um, the Catholic church is, you know, endless lying about the abuse scandals. Um, then laterally you had the, 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 you had the, um, the financial crisis, which, which was like the entire economic system of the entire world being based on, on more lying, you know? So, so I think as, as a generation Xer, you are, predisposed to um, extreme skepticism, which I don't think, I was going to say, I don't think that's a, that's a, a an unhealthy way to live, but, but uh, I think it sort of takes its toll. You know, you, you kind of, you, you don't know. Uh, I envy the millennials with their, um, with their, with their belief that they can change things. I, I think that's, that's uh, like, like, Reading Naomi Klein, like that that book, uh, No Logo, was really important yeah, um, yeah. when I was a kid. But but uh, 
But in Ireland in particular, there was a sense of, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if it was just me, but I don't, um, maybe you'd like to shed some light on this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on, like, did you feel like there's, there's, I don't know that I had a strong sense that anything could be put in the place of the world I wanted to tear down. I mean, I think this is a good, um, actually, segue um, to um, another question from Catherine, which is, do you think the mix of comedy and tragedy in Skippy Dies speaks to a particular Gen X experience? I might just add a twist on that to go back to the earlier question you brought up about cynicism and irony and um, the use of them. You know, because, you know, you say, well, so it's the kind of non-ideological, non-Gen X um, humor and irony and all of that. Um, on the other hand, as the Mark and the Void shows, in some ways your work is intensely ideological while being funny. So I suppose the question is, in what way is um, humor at odds with an ideological program or a desire for political change? And in to what extent is it in service of it? And I think in that sense, to me anyway, um, Skippy Dies and The Mark and the Void are very Gen X mm. novels. But do you have any thoughts on that since you brought it up yourself earlier? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean sorry, it, just one uh, an example. So there's, the, there's an example in Skippy Dies and this, a few people quoted this in reviews, I think, where um, somebody lights a fart, um, puts a fart on fire. And there's this actually quite, lyrical account of how the room is illuminated um, by it. Um, and then in The Mark and the Void, we have this uh, horrific landscape of greedy bankers and the financial crash. And then these laugh out loud gags about um, so the brighter Paul has written a book called For Love of the Clown. And um, uh, sorry, yeah, I won't repeat your own jokes back to you, but there are some very funny uh, gags about that running through it. Um, but it's obviously very intensely ideological too. So there is, you're working on two levels all the time, it seems to me. That also seems characteristic of the generation in a way. Yeah, uh, I think that, um, uh, well, like it was, it was a very, I mean, like, I, like humor is like a classic, you know, Irish, Irish trait, you know, and it's, it comes from being uh, a country that's been like relentlessly invaded um and you know assailed by various much bigger um entities and uh in school like that was that was happening to me kind of uh, in, in in microcosm pretty regularly uh so you learn to defend yourself like by humor you know it's a way it's a way to kind of get the bullies to stop punching you it's also a way to um to kind of get a purchase on the world you know like you, you here's a way that i can uh engage with the world with the world that seems kind of so different to me and so kind of opposed to me here's a way that I can get a foothold on it you know by making fun of it um and I can even even get some sort of positive feedback from it um people will laugh at my jokes um with regard to the ideology I don't know I, I feel like uh there was like the classic Gen X line was there's a film filmmaker called Richard Linklater who made a film called uh, Slacker uh which is a fantastic film really beautiful film um, and there's a line in it like uh, withdrawing, withdrawing in disgust is not the same as apathy. Um, and that line um, sp spoke to me at the time and st still does in a certain way. I feel like any time you sign yourself to an ideology of any kind, you're going to be drawn into some kind of 
reduction uh, or, or, or you're going to start uh, like pin, that's a real pension thing. Like pension sort of quite obsessed with uh, this kind of German mode of thinking whereby sort of you, you kind of, you start fitting a mold onto reality to make things fit, fit your, um, to make the facts fit the, the viewpoint you want to sustain. Uh, and reality is very, very messy. So you end up becoming um, a fascist, you know, uh, and you can be a fascist even if you're on the left. You know, you can be a fascist if, you know. Um, I definitely didn't want to do that. Uh, and I felt like the humor was a safe way of, uh, of of putting my view across without assigning myself to any particular yeah. um, ideology. Maybe connected to that, because uh, something I envy about the millennial uh, writers is the, their confidence that they're going to be listened to. They feel sure that when they speak, people will hear them. I wonder, um, for a Gen X writer, if comedy isn't a way to make sure you get the reader's attention and sympathy because you're not you're not sure of it um, at all. You're actually, and I suppose in Ireland that maybe growing up in a world that was so full of children that um, um, you you you've never um, you couldn't be guaranteed an adult audience for anything you wanted to say, and that the this particular brand of of, of humor is a way to what's what they call in Latin, the captatio benevolentiae, to catch, capture the, the goodwill of the, the reader so that once you have them, you can actually buttonhole them with what you want to, to say. And so we have, um, oh, we're nearly done, but we have time for one more question. Um, so um, this is Liam. As a suburban kid, um, but not, not, not solely a suburban focused writer, what would you say your relationship is with the center of the city? Did you feel culturally separated from it? Did it strike you as more of a place of cultural richness? Town, as we call it. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, town is town is great. Town. I remember. Um, I remember going into the Virgin Megastore, and and that was like, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and uh, the Coffee Inn. All those places were 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 seemed kind of to vibrate with with meaning, uh, and and everything that I was looking for at the time. You know, maybe if I had just gone to, into town more, I would have been happier. Um, Dublin like had a lot going on at the time, uh, but the the suburban world of, of like Blackrock and its um, and its uh, its kind of orbit it 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 was its own thing. And so my friends didn't really go into town. Instead, you go to uh, there was a little corner of hell called um, uh, Hollywood Nights, and that was this kind of this this kind of the the, the nightclub um, that that you'd go to, um, and there was a pub attached to it called the Bull and Bear. And, um, you know, it was really impossible. It was very hard to persuade people to kind of make the trip into town, you know, in a way that's kind of difficult for me to understand. People didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to uh, experience a world beyond that, that, little, uh, that little safe and enclosed environment. Well, uh, we're, that just brings us up to the hour. Um, thank you very much, Paul. Um, like, um, there's loads more things I wanted to ask you, but maybe another time and uh, thank you everybody for coming and see you next month i think it's april 7th um i'm going to be talking to nick laird but um thanks again paul thanks very take care